Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average. Plus, it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brebber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we've got a pretty straightforward idea for an episode. We are just going to be dishing out some hot takes that we have down the stretch this NBA season. Now, we do this a couple times throughout the year, but this is sort of maybe the last installation unless we do a playoff edition because we only have about a quarter of the season, a little bit less even, remaining. Or really about a quarter, I would say. So Logan, let's throw it over to you first. What's the first hot take you have for us down the stretch here? I think that the Celtics will cement themselves back into the Eastern, uh, you know, basically contendership, and I think they reclaim the fourth seed. Mm. Over the last 10, they're 7-3. and three. They've got the fourth-best net rating over that stretch. They've been ninth in offensive rating over that period and fifth in defensive rating. And Carson, Jason Tatum has been unreal mm-hmm. over the last 10 29-8-4 on nearly 50-40-90 splits obviously he exploded for 53 versus Minnesota shooting uh, 65% from the field he has four 30 point games uh, over this last 10 game stretch Brown has been super efficient as well 22 on 48-40-73 splits Evan Fournier has been an awesome addition to this group uh, and been elite in this rotation 53% off the catch uh, 12 on 42-48-75 splits and I'd like to issue you an apology, Carson. Oh, please do. I was wrong about Robert Williams defensively. I completely missed the boat on that one. You know, I questioned his defensive instincts, his intuitiveness, and I I still think they were good good concerns to have about Williams' game, but his lateral quickness, his physical intangibles, his wingspan, like he is... He has all the tools to be a dominant defender uh, in this league, and I completely missed the boat on that. But I will say he's going to be a two—he's going to be a two-way force in this league. I already knew he was a great role man and rim runner. He's uh, shooting 69% uh, from the field. He's extremely efficient. I just think that uh, I don't know, man. Getting rid of Tice maybe wasn't as big of a blow as I initially thought for the Celtics rotation. And I like having Robert here instead down the stretch of the Celtics. He's another addition. I still have mixed feelings about Kemba Walker. He isn't shooting officially in general or off the catch, but he is a necessary necessary piece of this puzzle. He has to playmake in this offense. Brown and Tatum need Kemba here to handle, to take that weight off of them. And I trust Tatum to be a beastly scorer. He's not far enough along to be a you know ball handler completely to X out Kemba out of this offense. But Kemba is also still elite on the break. But Carson, I want to talk specifically about what we saw from this team against Denver. Mm. I mean, they clawed back in a vengeful way to beat the Nuggets. Now, most of the comeback was with Jokic off of the floor, and MPJ went 1 of 12 from deep. Nevertheless, it was impressive. They only trailed by 5 headed into the last quarter, but the Celtics were down by 10 to 12 for the majority of the game. You saw they forced 5 straight turnovers to close the third and stole all of the momentum, and then they just ran Denver off the floor in the fourth. Tatum goes 5 for 18 for 14 points. The Celtics shoot 60% from the field. They held him score uh, they held the Nugget, uh, Jokic is who I'm referring to. They held the Nuggets as they hold a 3 of 23 from the field and 8 total points. And, I mean, the numbers in, in win against Denver was impressive in general, but I think we learned a, a few things from this game specifically. First, this Celtics team is very capable of closing gaps and closing out games, plus teams need to be absolutely terrified of Jason Tatum if he gets in the zone like he was. Secondly, and more importantly, Carson, this game showed me a different Celtics team. We haven't seen in a long time, man. One that is going to compete, that is going to not give up. You know, 
just fight all game long, man. They haven't looked hungry, and uh, they looked as hungry as a bear coming out of hibernation, Carson. They were starving against Denver. Awesome analogy. Um, now, a lot of this take for the Celtics to really take over, uh, get the four seed back. This was a little bit of a spicier take yesterday before Tatum's game winner and dominant performance against the Blazers. They were the seventh seed. Now they're the fifth seed. This seems a little more you know, in range, and I definitely think this is going to happen now. Uh, it's dependent on Jason Tatum continuing to lead this squad, but you know, I believe in him. Again, we saw what he did against Denver. We saw what he did against Portland. A competitive, hungry, defensively stout Celtics squad with a killer like Jason Tatum is still something to be very afraid of out East. All right, so let's drill this down to a specific take here. I'm going to put the pressure on you. What is your confidence level in this team right now, and where do they rank in that contending conversation? Because, obviously, we just did our top 10 title favorites episode last week, and they were not on that list for you, and there were four other Eastern Conference teams. So where do they factor into that conversation now? If they factor into with every team, I still have them lower in the East, but... Uh, I'd say that they have cemented themselves over Miami right now. Okay, so um, you would have them fourth out of the East. Definitely. And I just can't at this point, Carson. We've, I cannot trust Miami to create reliable offense. Mm-hmm. I don't know what is wrong this season. Um, I was hoping the VO addition would help that at all. It is not. It's, I, I trust Boston on both, not both ends of the floor. I obviously trust the Heat more with Bam and Jimmy. But mm-hmm. offensively, I cannot trust Miami to produce, and Boston has been. Well, Again, with Jason Baldwin like this, man, I have supreme faith back in Boston. And it's, I don't know, man, I'm hoping this is something we see continually from Tatum where he can just flip this switch when it is desperation playoff into season time like we saw last year in the bubble. Um, He's a killer, man. Is there a reasonable path for them to get to the finals, in your opinion? I picked them preseason, man, and I won. You sure did. Boston does this to me every time, man. They reel me in, they reel me back out, mm-hmm. and they're slowly drawing me back in. Like, And there's like a genuine question of Carson, like, do I like them more than a team like Philadelphia? Uh-huh. Even though they have a stout defense, I don't know. They're just as deep as Philly and just as talented, I would say. And again, when you have a closer like Jason Tatum, it's always enticing. I would say I would not put my money on it. I would not trust them to come out of the East. I would still probably lean Brooklyn and Philadelphia, although it's close. I can see them getting to another uh, Eastern Conference Finals, though. I don't think that's out of the question. I can see it, and I think that the Celtics are certainly trending in the right direction after what has been a really troubling season. I also don't want to just say after a four-game win streak or whatever that, oh, they have solved their problems because consistency has been the issue all year. There have been moments, obviously, where Tatum looks otherworldly. There were months of the season where Brown was otherworldly, and there have been nights when Kemba or... Marcus Smart or whoever is playing their best. There just haven't been enough of those nights. And I also do still question how many quality guys you can trust in a playoff series here. Now, of course, the Fournier edition helps. I love Time Lord. I think he has been playing awesome. But there's definitely going to be a lot of pressure on him to perform at a high level in big spots. And I don't know how ready he is for that kind of responsibility. And I also just think there's still something weird about this team. Well, and I would say if you were going to have a big knock on the Celtics, it has to be their bench. Uh-huh. I mean, you saw um, against the Blazers, Melo was killing them in the— uh, I mean, I think the graphic popped up. Their bench had seven points. Melo's having 17. I can't trust their bench to reliably create offense or anything. Like, I mean, right. Grant Williams is a decent defensive piece. Peyton Pritchard is a decent offensive weapon in stretches. But again, there's that consistency factor when it comes to that second rotation. And, of course, you did a whole video on why this team was struggling earlier in the season, and that was certainly one of the factors, is they just don't have the same number of quality players that they had previously. And I don't know. When I look at the real top teams out east, I feel like there are some pretty clear identities that you can sort of point to. Obviously, the Nets wouldn't even need an identity, but they have one as just this all-time offense. And the Sixers pride themselves on just having that elite team defense and having that true superstar transcendent offensive talent to sort of bolster that unit as well. Even if you look at a team like the Heat, again, they're so locked in on that defensive end and they have a big-time closer in Jimmy, another real offensive star-level guy in Bam. If you look at Milwaukee, obviously, they know what they're doing and they're going to put shooting around Giannis and they're going to have your big-time shot maker, theoretically, and Chris Middleton, all of this. And when I look at the Celtics, it's just... Tatum pick and roll in isolation, Brown pick and roll in isolation. There's not all that much flow to it. It's kind of weird. You don't really know who is commanding the game for this team. You never know when Marcus Smart is going to try to be the hero. And although they're certainly talented and I think they're a good team, 
I am not convinced that they are really going to push, certainly not the Nets, but outside of that, I don't know. Now, I will say the track record tells you that they can compete with the best, and there's no question about that, but I also don't want to just throw out the window all of the concerns we had about this team. So I want to ask then, do you have them over Milwaukee now? No. I don't. I think it's I think it's pretty close. I guess you could argue that it's close because we could get a supernova version of Tatum, and I'll say I considered having a hot take of Tatum's going to score 30 a game down the stretch because I think that he might be getting into that zone right now. You mentioned how hot he's been and obviously just had that ridiculous shot against Portland and has had some real big clutch moments as of late, and I'm a huge Jason Tatum guy, no doubt about that, and that's a reason why I do still have confidence in this team because I think he can potentially put them on his back, but is he still going to compare to the real traditional best players out east on these contenders i don't know if he's in that tier night tonight the guy's still just 22 at this point i believe and you're going up against guys who are consensus top 10 players when it comes to the competition out east and so i don't know if the team around him is good enough for that to suffice and say i'm just going to put ultimate faith in jason tatum and yeah you can say jalen deserves a lot of faith too but there's just something off. Well, I mean, and a lot of their issues, though, at the start of the season were dependent on that defense, and I don't, I don't have as many of those concerns as I did earlier in the year. That's the really that's the difference maker. You feel great about their team defense at this point? I don't feel great. I feel good enough with a offensive engine like Jason Tatum where they can be competitive. Here's the thing, though. I don't know if I could call Tatum an offensive engine at this point because he's still figuring out how to handle out of the pick and roll and how to get himself high efficiency shots and how to really elevate others. Like, he's a bucket. He can carry you in games. I don't know if he can carry you through a playoffs and if he can elevate a whole offense like that. And that's just the thing with this Celtics team, man. When I look at their formula this year compared to years previous, it was always the top five defense that got them in the door. And then it was, what can you do offensively on top of that? And they don't have the top five defense, and I don't think it's coming. And that's where I do think losing Tice really hurts you. Yeah, I mean, I think Tice definitely hurt their bench depth for sure. Um, he was their best big. I still think I would rather have him today over Williams. Not offensively, because Williams is just explosive there. But as an all-around factor, a guy who can also knock down an open three if I need him to, and defensively is just much further along, I would still say. I would rather have him. I mean, you make a good case, especially with the precedent that we've seen from the Celtics in the past. I would just say, man, I don't know. I think Jason Tatum is that caliber of player that when it comes playoff time, he is going to just serve people buckets. I think he Mm. is on that short list of guys I want. I know you're talking about the competition that he's going to see out east, and I get it, man. You're going to see Joel Embiid. You're going to see KD. You're going to see Giannis, Middleton. All of these guys are comparable on those levels of effectiveness on offense I just think Jason Tatum deserves to be in the same conversation of them he's just as good a difficult shot maker and he's got a crazy great post game his he's been on fire from deep lately I'm telling you man I'm just I guess this Tatum is most this take this take is mostly just yeah yeah I believe in Jason Tatum to carry this squad how concerned are you about Kemba? Because obviously he didn't live up to billing last year, but has been a cut below that this entire regular season, and I would not bet on him playing at a high level at all. And that's another big difference, I think, between last year's team and this year's. Oh, I'm done with Kemba. Like, okay. I, I know what Kemba gives to this team. He is, again, a guy that can get into the lane and dish out a few passes. He helps slick the wheels of this offense. Like, it's not he doesn't have this major impact that he once does just because he's not shooting efficiently. Yeah. When Kemba's not, he limits his effectiveness on offense. I'm completely over Kemba. I know okay. that I, my my expectations are extremely low. Okay. The Celtics are a top five team out east, and there's a world in which if Tatum gets on that transcendent level, they could work their way to the conference finals maybe, but I don't think it's high probability. So I don't want to jump the gun. Do you have a Hawks take then? I do not have a Hawks take. I thought about it. Hawks or Celtics? Celtics. And that's why I couldn't have a Hawks take at the end of the day because I was like, the Hawks really could win a playoff series. But then I was like, that's not a hot take. That's just throwing out a possible outcome. And so I still would not have the gall to take them over the Celtics. And I do think the Celtics ceiling is high. And I have never stepped off of that mountain. It's just, it's going to take a lot more to go right than it did for them to get to the conference finals last year. And of course, the competition is stiffer across the board as well. Okay, my first take is also, certainly more so even, embedded in just a deep faith in one guy And that take is that Steph Curry takes the scoring title down this year and carries the Warriors through the play-in tournament and into the actual playoffs. So right now, part one of the take, the scoring title, Beal's at 31 a game, Steph's at 30.4, so the gap really isn't all that big. It's 
6.6 points per game, and it just feels like a little bigger because Beal has had that title all year long. But obviously, we know what Steph has done lately. Since he came back from injury, has turned the dial up another level. Over his last seven, is at 38.4 points per game on 53.5, 46-91 splits. And on the flip side of that, Beal has been battling some injuries lately. Is under 26 a game post-All-Star break. Has missed a handful of games. And Steph has just gone full supernova mode. And... I do think if you're looking at the team element of this as well, the dubs are 25 and 21 when he plays. If you want to look at just how tremendous his impact on winning is, I can recommend a YouTube video for you made by a very handsome scholar. And maybe they don't match the Spurs or the Grizzlies or the Pelicans in terms of quality players to this date because this roster is still in a lot of ways very bad. And it is very ugly when Steph is not playing at that supernova level. But I do still think those teams are all lacking in experience in their respective ways. And if it comes down to one game and you are just saying who can take their team over the top, I really do think one player has the ability to do that. And I think that Steph Curry is certainly that one player. I think he could blow those teams out of the water almost single-handedly. So there's the combination for you. I just think the Warriors defensively can be good enough to hang in one of those games. And then offensively, it's just everything runs through Steph. It's Steph Draymond pick and roll all day. It's every time that Steph is off the ball, he's attracting two defenders. And if he's not, he's knocking it down in somebody's mouth. And he shoots the ball 30 times. And every time he doesn't shoot the ball, he still has a tremendous impact because everybody's terrified of him. And that's how you win. And that's how you get to the playoffs. And I think when you're down the stretch here, conserving Steph saying, ooh, there's eight minutes left in the fourth quarter and it's a four-point game. We'll bring Steph in when there's six minutes left. That stuff is going to stop. He is just going to go berserk. His fourth quarter scoring this year has been ridiculous per minute, which just tells you, again, when they need a guy to kick into gear, he does it every single time. That's what this stretch is for. That's what the play-in is for. And I think that we're going to see that from Steph Curry. And he's going to do pretty much the impossible. I know you can look to the you know experience level of a team like the Grizzlies. I genuinely considered having one of my takes the Grizzlies hold off the Spurs and the Warriors and get into the playoffs. Okay, so why is that, that you have confidence in that group? They're so much deeper than the Warriors. Certainly. I mean, I just do not trust the role players around Steph and Draymond to help out enough. And it's not like I'm referring to Wiggins or Oubre, man. It's the it's the Damian Lees. It's the Nico Mannions. Mm-hmm. It's, do, you, do you think guys like that, first off, I want to ask you, informed Warriors fan, do those guys get minutes when it comes, like, in those games, do you think they're even in the rotation? Yes, those guys have to play. That's the thing with this team, which is why it's a hot take that they could get to the play-in because it's a pretty miserable roster. And even the top four guys, obviously, a lot of them come and go with their quality performances. The Grizzlies, obviously, are a team that I have immense respect for. And I always talk about how we should respect them more because what they are doing with how young their core is is remarkable. And they are able to play defense at an elite level with young guys, and that just doesn't happen. And as you mentioned, they have 10 guys who I trust more than maybe I trust the Warriors' fifth best guy. But they also have a best guy who still can't knock down a pull-up jumper. And we don't know what Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to look like, presuming that he is out there, because that is what the reports say, but we still haven't seen it. And I don't know, man. We can talk about Shlomo's production, but I'm not going to bet on that to be a game-changing factor when it comes up to them against a Titan like Steph Curry. So I just am going to trust the team that I think has the supernova talent, and that's Steph Curry. And we'll get into that more as we obviously are in actual play-in season, but that is the punctuation mark to my joint take because just saying he would win the scoring title wasn't enough for me. Yeah, I'm just glad you brought up uh, Kyle Anderson. You know, he's he's always a joy to bring up. Um, Joy to watch. I don't know, man. Like, yeah, they're young, and I think the lack of a late-game closer is definitely concerning, but I'm sorry to clarify. The games here that we will see to determine, it's just one game in, right? No, so the 7-8 and play, the winner of that game is safe. The 9-10 and play, the winner of that game has to beat then the loser of the 7-8 game, and the winner of that game is in. So it's a double elimination. So they would have to win two games. Got you. That is why it's a little bit bolder for you. And I'm going to assume that whoever ends up in that seven spot, the Blazers or the Mavs, I would pretty confidently say they probably come out on top so the Warriors don't have to go through them. If they do, my take would change. But when it comes down to one man against a solid group, when it's this one man, give me that one man. You afraid of the Spurs at all? No. I don't think that they're trending in the right direction. And I just think you're relying on a lot of guys who have been really inconsistent this year. If it's Keldon, if it's Lonnie, and I obviously think that having Derek White back has been great for them. He's been really good on the year. DeRozan as that facilitator has been great on the year. 
but I still don't think that they pop enough on either end for me to say that's enough to really confidently take them over again. Just the one-man machine. When it's one and done, I'm going to take Steph Curry. All right, let's move on. What is your second hot take? So my second hot take, you were talking about Steph and his scoring numbers. I'm going to talk about Zion and some of his scoring numbers. I expect him to average 30 points per game down the stretch, but with an additional seven assists, he has been an outstanding playmaker uh, as of recently and mm-hmm. how the Pelicans have been using him. He's got the third most points per game since the break, 29.7 on 63-50-71 splits while also adding four assists a night. In the past 10 games, he's averaging 32-5. and five. And, I mean, there's a few factors into why I think Zion can do this and why he's really good for Pelicans offense. It's that factor that you were talking about in your Timberwolves video. Excellent. You guys should check it out. Um, Anthony Edwards and how he explodes into the lane, Carson. Mm-hmm. We were discussing it. Zion is so explosive. You're always forcing that extra help yeah. where he is going to serve you buckets. And I think, one, that gravity matters, but it's also the pieces around him. Lonzo and B.I. are over 40% off the catch this season. They've proven to be more than reliable. Kyra Lewis Jr. and Eric Bledsoe are over 37% uh, off the catch. Speaking of which, dude, good call on Kyra Lewis Jr. Hey, thanks, man. That man's a dog. He's a, a lot of our draft guys are starting to pan out. Malachi Flynn coming on lately. Jaden McDaniels. The long game has done us well. We'll see what Killian does long term. He's back. Had some nice passes. Yeah, I'm hopeful. Uh, yeah. Dude, Kyra is blazing fast. Sure is. And I don't know, man. I think him and Lonzo might be able to coexist. But back to Zion. He's just... <laughs> Zion's unstoppable, man. We've come to this conclusion already at this point in the season. I think it's a no-brainer that he puts up 30 points per game. Mm-hmm. They are using him not only as a you know half-court uh, facilitator. He's bringing the ball up. Like They are just leaning all the way into this offense. And it is... I think it's just so great to grow Zion's game, man. We are yeah. going to see him become such a a much better player as the season continues. Um, he's going to become just a more reliable ball handler, playmaker in general. And the 30 points per game, I think, comes along easily. No one else is commanding those touches away from him. The assists are where what's going to be shaky, but I believe in him, man. Like I said, I think they lean fully into it. And um, I think he's just going to be dropping dimes, man. I, uh, I believe in Zion. I don't really believe in the Pelicans as a whole, but uh, I think he dominates the rest of this season. The seven assists per game is a little bit lofty for me, and you're right. He has the potential to do that pretty easily as far as getting seven assists per game goes because he collapses the defense many, many times over in each game. I would just say, if he was going to get to that point, don't you think he kind of would have already done it? Because we've seen him transition into this mode for a couple months now. It's been more than half the season that he has been this utterly dominant force that has taken a leap from what he was to begin the year, and... The playmaking value is solid, but I just think he's going to have to start making some more impressive reads. Like right now, if there's a guy who is open and is pretty much directly in front of him or is reasonably easy to find, he can make that pass and he can make it relatively consistently. But he's going to have to start throwing some crazy hook passes to the corner and just making some real high-level passes if he's going to get up to seven assists per game. Like that's just a different level of playmaking that I think he very well could get to in his career, but I don't know if he is there yet. So I understand how he does it, but I don't think that he does it because I just don't think he's there as a passer yet. We've seen, I don't know, we've seen just a few games where he's been, I don't know, really outstanding against Denver, against Dallas, um, against Brooklyn. He drops six. Against Philly, he drops eight. It's just been as of recent. I don't know. He's been a little more impressive. I get it, though. You're not going to get up to that upper echelon of Mark if you're not throwing Luka, Russ, LeBron level mm-hmm. reads, passes, and stuff like that. So, and it's the Russ level. I mean, they're different from obviously Luca mm-hmm. LeBron dimes. It's literally just you have collapsed the defense. People are scampering. Somebody's open. Throw the ball to that guy. And that's how Russ generates 10 assists a game because he is a defense collapser. So he's not going to have to make those high level pick and roll reads like Luca and LeBron to be aware okay, there's the roll man. These are the shooters who people are rotating away from. It's really just going to be everybody's scared of me who's open. Yeah, and just to add on about uh, where he is in the pick and roll, 87th percentile this season. Scary, man. It's terrifying. That's as a ball handler? Yes. And he's, I think, 90-something percentile as a roll man are up there too. Like, you slip that dude out and throw a lob up to him, you're done, man. I mean, he's becoming a just a super dynamic all-around threat on offense that— I don't know, man. I had I just feel so bad. I had so many questions about Zion yeah. coming into the draft, <laughs> and it was wrong about all of them. Well, except for defense. I need I yeah. need to see some more on that end. I have no more questions about Zion offensively. Not many questions to have. 
And I think we've already conceded that at this point because I was similar to you, definitely a Zion skeptic, and there's not much to be skeptical of anymore, except for the defense, as you mentioned. All right, so my second hot take, not exactly steaming hot, but I think qualifies as a hot take nevertheless. I think that the Hornets finish outside the top eight in the East and lose the first play-in game. Okay, I'll take it by your reaction there that that actually is pretty hot. So, they were the four seed less than a week ago, which is why I think this qualifies as a hot take, even though they've slipped down to the seventh seed now. Right now, they're only two games up on the ninth-seeded Pacers, and so when you look at them falling in the regular season, first of all, Gordon Hayward is out right now with a foot injury. Leek Monk is dealing with an ankle injury. So that bench is getting real short when obviously LaMelo was also out for the season, and they don't have that many quality guys. Like, one of the strengths of this team is versatility as far as ball handlers go, where you started the year with four real high-level facilitating scoring combos from... Graham to Rogier to LaMelo to Hayward, and now you've lost two of those three best options, and so you feel that, but you also just feel the lack of quality bodies at this point, and then also, you consider Hayward and Munker going to be going into the playoffs, coming off of legitimate injuries, I don't love that, and Malik's been out for a while, obviously Hayward's injury is pretty severe, so that is likely to impact how they are actually able to play, and when I look at the teams around them too, I just think the Knicks are handling them at this point, with how RJ's been playing, where you have a second real high-level offensive player who can get his own shot and create for others in stretches at the very least. And with what they're doing defensively, I don't think it's that close between these two teams right now. The Pacers aren't getting worn back. We learned that a little bit ago, and that definitely hurts what their ceiling can be. But they're still, in my opinion, a better team on both ends when they're locked in. And yes, they've had their issues this season, and they're still trying to figure out fit, and a bunch has gone wrong for them. But again, when it comes down to that one-game format... I just really lean on the team that has more good players. And that's why, honestly, I think in one game, if you're looking at the team that's in the 10 seed right now, the Bulls, I think it's very reasonable to say that Levine and Vooch could just overpower them by sheer force. And that's the kind of game where I think players like Levine step up and they just get 40 because their team needs them to. And it's not like you're doing it against a contender. You're doing it against the Charlotte Hornets. So when I look at their top end, I just don't love it right now. And there's a lot of things that have me a little bit concerned about this team. They're not winning you a game with defense for sure. And yes, I still like offensively how they move the ball, how they shoot, how versatile they are. But if Hayward's not himself, if Malik's not himself, you lose a decent amount of that. And I think the other teams are all kind of trending in the right direction. Not significantly, maybe. The Bulls haven't actually been playing all that well. The Pacers haven't actually been playing all that well. But the potential is still more tantalizing to me. Yeah, and I would say as to other teams out East, no, I like a lot of them more with, yeah. with the uh, injuries that we've seen. We've had to see Terry Rozier uh, carry a huge load for the Hornets so far, and he has been struggling, man, uh, just shooting less efficiently because guys can key in on him. Mm-hmm. And uh, as it pertains to the other teams, I like the Pacers more. I think they're deeper than the Hornets at this point. They've got one of the Certainly. deepest rotations in the league. Yeah. Um, and I think you spelled it out. For one, I'm losing confidence in the Hornets. But two, in that scenario against the Bulls, dude, I don't give the Hornets a prayer. Yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to run Levine pick and pop all day long with Vooch, and they're both going to serve you 30, and it's going to be a quick sayonara for the Hornets right out of the playoffs. I like how you went from being shocked by this take to completely agreeing with it. No, you. I mean, I hadn't really considered all the extra factors that have gone into it, but... No, you laid out a you laid out a good argument, Carson. I'm, I'm impressed. You. And I'm sorry, Eric Collins, Hornets announcer. This is a bummer. I'm sure you're still going to have plenty to get excited about. Miles Bridges will probably make a left-handed layup or something, and you can throw a party at that point. And Terry Rozier is going to knock down a free throw, and the whole crowd is going to go wild, and you're going to be screaming, hum diddly do. And so he'll have plenty to get pumped up about. The future is bright in Charlotte, and the present has been bright, but I'm not so confident anymore. Can you hit a oh, Terry for me? Oh, Terry! I'm trying to do it without making my mic peak, so... I can't do it as enthusiastically as I would like to. We'll have to. I'll call up Eric. We'll get him on yeah. the line. All right. What's your third hot take? My third hot take is the Dallas Mavericks push the Suns to seven in the first round. Uh, I think this matchup holds. I think these teams are kind of properly rated where they are at this point in the season, definitively uh, two and seven. I don't think that changes with the Lakers injuries. Maybe the Clippers could sneak back up, but the Suns have just been on such a tear uh, post-All-Star break, which I guess is where the controversy in lies in this take is in the fact that the Phoenix Suns have been outstanding. Uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker have been unreal as uh, shot creators this year, um, mm-hmm. late-game scenarios as we've touched on. 
Uh, Bridges has been tremendous. Aiden has proved to be a defensive force, and they've proved to be deep. Jay Crowder has been a really good addition in this uh, rotation. You like a guy like Campaign. He's been awesome in this rotation. What's not to like? The, <laughs> the, the Suns have been excellent this year, but I believe in Luka, man. I really do. And as you predicted, the Mavericks have been hot post-All-Star, 7th best offensive rating in that span, ninth best defensive rating. And when Luka's on the floor, this is, I think, a big fundamental crux of this point, obviously. When it comes playoff time, Luka's going to be on the floor 40 to 48 minutes. Like They might not take Luka off. When Luka's on the floor, the Dallas Mavericks have an offensive rating of 118, and that's unconscious. If you surround him with shooters, which, again, the moves they made at the deadline um, and the players they already have on this roster— a bunch over 40% this season. Hardaway, Brunson, Kleber, uh, Finney-Smith, and Porzingis. Kristaps is another big uh, part of this equation. Kristaps has looked so much better than he did at the start of the season, and a big part of that is just knocking down shots, catch and shoot. That matters. He's been a little more aggressive uh, with the rock in his hands on offense. He's a little better uh, protecting the paint. And <laughs> they've just been streaking, man. Luka's, uh, Luka has been unreal at closing out games as well this season. I just I think the Mavericks are getting hot at the right time. They are catching fire at the right time. And as this season continues, that, that momentum is going to hold. When we get into the playoff moment after the Mavericks get out of that uh, play-in game, when they go to the Suns, it is going to be a hot, heavy-handed contest. And I think both teams match up pretty well. Like, I think, obviously, the top two for the Suns is better, right? Paul and Booker. You're going yeah. I mean, I don't know how obvious it is because Luka is a complete cut above both CP3 and Book, but also the second guy out of that duo, who I would say is CP3, by the way, hashtag Team Book, is so much better than KP. So yes, I would take that duo over the Mavs duo. Is that it? I thought maybe (laughs) you were going to talk about some other factors, like, well, and then the Suns have the team defense advantage. They have the depth advantage. No, but I'm no, but you. Oh, you, but you're making the Mavs case actually. So no, but you, you said say that. you said exactly what needed to be said. Luca is there. Luca is that cut yeah. above. Luca is the changing factor. Thank you. Thank you for wrapping that up uh, with a bow for me, Carson. No problem, man. How close are you to taking this all the way and saying the Mavs pull the upset? Because there's a part of you that wants to, and we can all see it. Oh yeah, definitely. I think you should have gone all the way because I don't think them going seven is a bad take at all, and I'm very high on the Suns. I think that you have to be if you've watched them play basketball. And this is why, as I said last week, when I had them over the Clippers, the depth and the amount of guys who can go out there and win me a game is so impressive. Saric can win you a game, make you a huge play. So can Campaign. So can Bridges. There are so many guys like that. Why are you laughing when I say that about Campaign? I love Campaign. What can't Campaign do? Timeout, bro. You get mad at me because I'm a Kem Birch guy, but you want to come over here and talk about campaign, bro. They're basically like the same. Logan, campaign is a Swiss Army knife. We love Swiss Army knives. He's a big-time shot maker. He's a smart playmaker. He's going to compete no matter what. Kem Birch is just Kem Birch. Look. <laughs> campaign's just, campaign's boring, man. Campaign's good is what campaign is, and America knows that I'm right about that. But yes. I think that the Suns are certainly a cut above the Mavs as a team right now. And the thing with the Mavs has always been how reliable is the supporting cast. And the reason that they were struggling so much to start the year was those guys couldn't just knock down an open shot. And also a lot of them were missing in stretches. And I still want to see more consistent night-to-night production from Josh Richardson. It would be nice if he could knock down an open shot every time out. He hasn't been able to do that on the year. But what's so encouraging for the Mavs is just the massive defensive strides that they've taken from being really towards the bottom group of the league we're talking like 25th in defensive rating to as you mentioned a top 10 defense lately and that is very big for what they're capable of doing but yes Luka can carry a team to win a playoff series he is that special he can go out there and effortlessly get me 35 a game and also elevate everybody around him and generate real high quality looks time after time after time that is special but I just don't think the quality players quotient quotient compares between these two teams and they have guys who I like obviously Gotta like THJ. Gotta love Jalen Brunson, of course. And thank God they got rid of James Johnson, so we don't have to talk about him anymore. But it's just not on the level of the Suns, and I still don't think the team defense is on the level of the Suns when both teams are fully at their best. So, as incredible as Luka is, I can't get all the way there to say that they would win the series, but take them seven. I like the take. I might flat out agree with the take, because I think the Mavs are going to get 
enough massive shooting nights and enough nights where they put up 130 on you and are just unstoppable because Luka's creating great looks. He's knocking down every step back. The guys around him are knocking down their open shots. I don't know how the Mavs win less than two games in a playoff series these days. We saw it even against the Clippers because the offense is so ridiculous that it's kind of inevitable that they're going to compete. Yeah, and I think there's a very real possibility that when it comes down late in that series, dude, Luka might have a chance to just put it away. I mean... Let me ask you this. How confident are you that it's actually going to be the Suns and not the Clippers? Because the Blazers and Mavs are separated by a game and a half, I think, and one team's trending in the right direction and the other team not so much. Well, if it's the Clippers, dude, I might just hop on board and (laughs) fully go for it. Keep on going with what you were saying about Luka taking over, though. You think that if it comes to the big moments, you're trusting him more than the scariest duo of clutch shot makers we've ever seen? Not ever. Not ever. But recently? Yes. Interesting. I trust... That step back, man, it is a game changer. So stupid. It It has changed everything that he can actually hit like 40% of them now. It might, honestly, like we should do this podcast sometime, like top 10 most unguardable moves. You know, we'll have uh... the Sombor shuffle and campaign pull up three. (laughs) The Michael Porter Jr. off the catch, top of the key. You know what I'm saying? That is a pretty unguardable (laughs) shot. But yeah, man, Luca's that shot is unreal. If it comes down... Game six, any game, any game I want Luka taking that step back because I trust it. And when it comes playoff times, I trust the Mavs to keep it close. And I, I, yes, even though I think the Suns have the two best, two of the best closers in basketball, I like Luka by himself more. Do you really think KP is a different guy who you're going to trust in big playoff moments? I don't trust him drastically more. He's just been better. Like I, been I, better. I will, I will, I will always try to, in my mind, convince myself. But Kristaps has burned me, burned us like, Way too many times. No, he has 100% been better, and he's taking more shots at the rim, and he's not taking as many of the turnarounds, still too many of them. But there was a game the other day where I thought, Logan, he had Derek White on him, and he was getting doubled also, but he didn't even know he was getting doubled. And he went to the turnaround, and I thought, this is going to end poorly. But he made a beautiful pass to the corner. And I thought, that's pretty good, KP. That's pretty good, man. And And he should start doing more of that, probably. He certainly should. But I still think as far as second guys out west go... He is bottom tier if you're talking about like actually really good contending teams. No, honestly, they should just let like Kristaps run point. No, terrible take. But Luka can win you multiple games. He can win you a series. So I like the take for the most part. All right, let's stick with some guys from former Yugoslavia here. We mentioned the Sombor Shuffle and Michael Porter Jr. I've got a Nuggets take for you here. It involves two individual guys in Denver. First take, Jokic averages a 30-point triple-double down the stretch. Second take, Monte Morris averages 16 points per game down the stretch. Specific number, 15 wasn't high enough. I thought, that's not a hot take. 16? <laughs> What's this guy eating for breakfast, right? <laughs> Somebody didn't have his frosted mini-wheats. Somebody had a Coke instead. But anyways, when it comes to the Jokic side of it, there's kind of two ways this can go. Because if you watch Jokic play a lot, you know that he kind of has two different directions he goes as a competitor either he gets very angry he says I'm not getting back on defense I'm fouling this guy I'm gonna pout it happened against Boston and it sucked to watch and he really gave up any chance that he had of leaving that team in a comeback when kind of mentally he just went out the door or he can say as he has done for basically this entire season I'm gonna just go supernova I'm gonna be that aggressive scorer I'm gonna do whatever I can to keep this team alive I think he does the ladder down the stretch without Jamal Murray who by the way We didn't even acknowledge up to this point, Jamal, you are a warrior. You will be fine. I have the utmost faith. But man, did that suck to see. That was heartbreaking and genuinely impacted, I think, the potential for this season because we both agreed. I thought the Nuggets were top two team out West. You thought they were the best team out West and not seeing that is going to be a bummer. But it does give us the opportunity to see what can Jokic do by himself. And it also gives us the opportunity to see how does the offense flow with Monte Morris as that primary ball handler, man, because... I think a lot of people will look and say, MPJ is the guy to step up. I don't necessarily think that he is. MPJ, to me, if he's not getting his shots within the flow of the offense, is still not good. MPJ handling out of the pick and roll, it's like, okay, he'll take a mid-range pull-up. He can't get good shots for himself. It's just every shot for him he likes because he knows he can get it off cleanly because he's 6'10 and one of the best pure shooters in basketball. But Morris, one of my favorite players, One of the best bench players in basketball, 88th percentile out of the pick and roll, a mid-range assassin, can get downhill, is a really good passer, 
And so I really am not scared of him controlling the game. Like, it's not going to be Jamal. There's going to be much more of a burden on Jokic. But Monte Morris can be really good, and I'm excited to see how that all turns out. It's funny that you say that, Carson. Yeah. Because my next take is that Michael Porter Jr. averages 25 points per game with Murray out. Okay. And I think it's a pretty easy sell. He's uh, he's uh, putting 21 points uh, a night on 57-39-79 shooting splits since the All-Star break. And he's attempting 15 field goals a night and shooting 45% on five catch-and-shoot attempts. Again, the crux of my case is with Murray attempting 17 field goals a night, they're obviously going to need to replace someone. Um, someone's going to need to replace that volume of opportunity. You do point out something uh, pretty interesting, though, Carson. So you don't think that you don't even think that Porter Jr. will get two more buckets a night with Murray out because the shots just aren't coming as fluid because Jamal's not there. Yeah, when he starts forcing the issue, it gets ugly. And I don't trust him to run offense. I don't want him handling out of the pick and roll. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you think. That but how going is he to, getting those touches? No, then? I'm asking. Are there going? You think that? Are, I'm just asking you to clarify. Yeah. There are going to be less opportunities, in your opinion, for Michael Porter Jr. in this offense because Jamal Murray is out. Not less. I just don't want there to be more. Because I think he is at his best when he is just taking what comes to him. When he's cutting, when he's knocking down open shots off the catch. Don't even have to be that open. It can be a tight window and he can still knock it down. But when he starts thinking, okay, I'm Kevin Durant, that's when things get bad. And that's what I don't want to happen here because that would be bad for this Nuggets team. Well, I mean, I think we do see something like that, though, as it comes down. I think we're going to see more of a ball-handling MPJ in that sort of role because they're going to need it. They're going to need another ball-handler to take up time in this offense. It's Monte Morris. It's Monte Morris. They're going to give some rub to MPJ, though. they are, but they shouldn't give much. And you know what, Carson? I'm going to go on record now. You're going to like it, too. He's going to impress you. He's not, Logan. He impresses me in his ability to fit into any offense when he plays his simple role because he is such a lethal weapon in that role. But he does not impress me as that guy's going to be the number one player on a contender someday or the number one perimeter scorer or any of that. I think he's going to be the ultimate fill-it-up role guy, and that's a great player to have. But I'm a little scared if he tries to do too much because he gets that look in his eye, and it's not good. (laughs) And he starts talking about the vaccines, and then it just only goes downhill from there. All right, I'm going to change the crux of my argument. Michael okay. Porter Jr. is going to be the best perimeter defender in the NBA down the stretch of the rest of the season. <laughs> what do you think about that? I actually like that take a lot. Okay, good. Because I've seen he's been grinding in practice. Yeah. Like you said, he just got off the vaccine. Yeah. He's, he's a changed man. Yeah. Um, no, nah, he definitely did not take the vaccine. I don't know where dude, that I, I'm, I I just think you're... I think I think MPJ is going to be different, man. I Would believe you rather kid. see more Monte Morris or more MPJ? Obviously, I want to see Mini Braun. What kind of Who question doesn't? is that? Who doesn't? Okay. <laughs> so honestly, I wish Tory Craig was still here. I want to see more Tory Craig. No, but actually, Malik Beasley would have been nice to have in this spot. Oh, like, yeah, really nice because that dude does a lot of Jamal Murray type stuff. Where if you already have a Jamal Murray, you don't need it. There's maybe not enough ball to go around. But when you don't, a dude who can just get buckets at that level on all three levels would be very, very nice. Jamal Crawford time. Oh, honestly, top five take of all time. Dude, that would be sick. I think the Nuggets should just sign Jay Crossover I and let it. him serve buckets off the bench. I love it. One of the best takes I've ever heard. <laughs> okay, so I guess that we just traded Nuggets take there, so it looks like I am back on the clock. So my fourth take. And this one probably involves the least relevant team. I think the Thunder win two more games this year. That's out of their last 18. So that's pretty bad. Now, they're already on pace to pretty much do that if they stay at the level they've been at. They're 1-10 in 11 games since SGA went out. In that stretch, they've had the worst offensive rating in basketball, the 28th best defensive rating. They're getting outscored by 20 points per game, Logan. I believe it's... I don't remember how many straight, but I think seven straight double-digit losses. Like, they have not been competitive for the most part. Even when Lou Dort puts up 42, then they're still climbing from, like, 20 down as they were in that game. Now, what endangers this take, because I think if you look at their starting lineups as of late, you can understand where I'm coming from, is that SGA is apparently being reevaluated this week and maybe coming back soon from his plantar fasciitis. I don't know what the incentive is to play him, though. Like... Does he even need to develop chemistry with these guys? Is that your top priority? Or do you just want to be the Thunder and say, we love draft picks, we love draft picks? Although, did they even have their pick this year? They do. Yeah, they do. Mm -hmm. So there's an incentive there. But 
if you just look at the starting five that they've been trotting out there versus the Jazz, it was Teo Maladon, love him, not exactly a starting point guard, Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, Isaiah Roby, and Moses Brown, and that was an upgrade because there was a time when Dort was out, and so we saw Poku starting for a long stretch, and they've just lost everything that made them competitive, really. First of all, their offensive star, who could get his own shot efficiently, who could create for others, not having that really hurts, but defensively, that was kind of their identity as that scrappy team. They're not competing as hard there. They're having more miscommunications. You have a lot of rookies playing, a lot of really young guys who aren't ready to be in those spots yet and just look out of place. Offensively, it is just chaos right now. There's no commanding presence. Whatever Teo could be long-term, he is not right now. They have been in these last 11 games without SGA, second in turnovers, last in assists, a 20.2 to 18.1 assist to turnover ratio as a team, Logan. That is just unfathomably bad. And it's just really ISO-heavy offense, but it's with bad ISO players. And that's how you get a Lou Dort 40-piece, basically. It's either going to be him or Baisley, and he's the one who steps up and does it. We need more Ty Jerome minutes. We do. Ty um, Jerome has been really good. Yeah, and UVA, shout out. Yeah. Um, I do want to say, maybe I'm... A sick, twisted human being. I love when we get to this point in the NBA season. I do, too. When the Thunder are just trotting out young G League rosters, when the Rockets are just trotting out random BS lineups, because it's you just get to see so much more of the guys that you haven't all uh-huh. season long. And it's honestly, it's, it's one of my favorite parts of the NBA season. Not only that we're going to see these really good teams down the stretch and see what they are into the playoffs, but... These these bad teams are so much fun to watch because there's so much young talent on them. Like, I'm obsessed with Kenyon Martin Jr. and Kevin Porter Jr. Who isn't? I love what the Rockets' young core is. They're America's sweethearts. And I'm assuming you do too. Like, yeah, the Thunder yeah. may win two more games. You know what? We're going to see a lot of young talent flashed this rest of the way. I agree. I mean, just look at their guys who are actually playing right now. It's Baisley at 20, Dort at 21. You have Teo Maladon, a rookie, obviously. These guys are just so incredibly young and have so far to go. But it's fun even when you see a guy like Moses Brown pop up, who certainly you did not expect to be a relevant NBA guy who was undrafted, and he has a 20-20 game. Like, I love that stuff about the NBA. I agree with you. And sometimes it's fraudulent, but sometimes there are real diamonds in the rough who you see. What do you think about, I want your official take on Poku? How, am, how can I have an official take on him right now? He's like 10% of the way to whatever he will be. So I don't know if I can give you a take. Here's what I'll say. So you're just say big ceiling. That's. I think that there is still a high ceiling. I also think that there is still a very low floor. I think regardless of the percentages, very good shooter of the basketball. I'm confident in saying that. And yeah, when he's at his best, he looks like he can be a legitimate facilitator and like creator for others. And then there are other times where you just think that dude has no idea what he's doing. And those moments haven't stopped. It's just now he's putting up bigger numbers because he has more opportunities, he's a little more comfortable with his game, and he's knocking down more shots. So I will not give you an official Poku take yet. Just like I couldn't have given you one out of the draft. I couldn't have said, that guy will be a star, or that guy will suck. Uh, But I could have told you it will probably be one or the other. And I still am mostly in that camp. Like, if he can knock down an open shot, and that's it, and yeah, that's great to have at seven foot, no question. That's not enough to make me say, yeah, that guy was the worst, a worthwhile 17th pick. What uh what prospects would you most like to see go to like the Thunder and Rockets uh this uh, off season? Man, I mean, it depends on how lucky they get in the lottery, obviously. But every guy at the top of this class is very exciting for their own reasons. If you land in the top two and you're getting Cater Mobley, I think you're getting a generational talent either way. So that's top of the list for everybody. Well, I mean, would you like to see Shea paired up with a really I would like to see like Shea, Kate or I would like to see Shea paired up with Evan Mobley. That's what I would like to see. Because of the pick-and-roll uh, ability? Pick-and-roll potential to have like an actual defensive centerpiece would be amazing. Cade and SGA would be interesting because you'd be putting SGA back into kind of that mm-hmm. two-guard role that we saw him in last year. I don't know if that's what's best for him. I think his playmaking has come a long way, and I kind of think you're better having a versatile guy who can get his own shot alongside him because you need to have, in my opinion, another legit ball handler with him. He can't be a Luka. He can't be everything for your offense. But I still think he should probably be the primary guy. I'd love to see, honestly, um, Cade in Houston alongside a guy mm-hmm. like uh, KPJ. I just think you don't need any more playmaking. You have both your ball handlers you need for a while, both pretty good catch and shooters. I feel like KPJ becomes a sixth man in that scenario. And I kind of feel like that's what he's trending towards no matter what. Just because I don't know. 
the playmaking is maybe what separates him from a guy like Jordan Clarkson or whatever, these utter buckets, but he does need the ball in his hands a lot. Dude, he has got—you want to talk about step-backs, though? Dude, KPJ has got a dirty step-back yeah, as well, man. Yeah, I just wish he hit more of them. <laughs> He's still not shooting well from three at all on the year. Me too. It's just a—it's a fun shot. It is definitely a fun shot. Okay, so that was my fourth hot take. Down to the final stretch here. What is your fifth one? Here's a guy— who also has a lot of fun shots in his bag. I am taking Anthony Edwards to put up 30 a night and secure the Rookie of the Year award. Uh, I don't think it's out of pos- out of the possibility. I mean, on the season, 18 points a night, and I want to I get this out of the way. Carson, fun fact. Anthony Edwards has the eighth most inefficient campaign for any rookie that attempted as many field goals as he did in a rookie year. But he has been so much better uh-huh. as of recently. 24 points per game on 43-35 splits post-All-Star break. His field goal percentages have increased every month this season. And as we get into trudge territory, where it is just, again, the Thunder, the Rockets of the world, the Timberwolves of the world, just trotting out lineups. Um, if D'Lo misses a couple games, if Cat misses a couple games, we are just going to see Ant take over. And we've already seen him take over. This guy's attempting, you know, over 15 shots a night traditionally. He's gotten over 20 in a lot of uh, his past 10 games as well. And he wants to take these shots. Like it is, <laughs> he's just shooter, man. He'll pull up threes, getting into the lane, taking shots there, getting to the rack. Um, Edwards has got a killer instinct. And I just think that we are going to see him put up so many shots. Uh, he's, uh, we talked about this too as well, and I'm glad you mentioned in your video. He's got the he's the most explosive young player I think I've seen in a long time, mm-hmm. uh, comparable to a genuinely to a Derrick Rose to a Russell Westbrook level of explosivity in the lane, and I think that's what makes him truly deadly at being able to create his own shot. If he gets like you said, man, that mid range, that floater, that stop it. He will yeah. be the greatest scorer of all time. Whoa. Okay, maybe not that far, but he'll be he'll be filthy, and yeah. he could be a scary good playmaker. But I think the rest of this way is the Timberwolves just throw everything at the wall, see what sticks. I think Edwards is going to get a lot of shot attempts, and with how efficient he has been as of late, he is only I think he only gets better the rest of this season. Um, his percentages have gone up every month. I think he continues just to get better and better as the season goes along. I think if he shoots efficiently. I think he could get really close, man. 28, 29, 30 is definitely a real possibility. Well, Logan, you may recall we did a very similar episode to this one at the All-Star break. And one of my hot takes was Ant is going to average 20 points per game after the All-Star break. That felt like a hot take at the time. Now we've scaled it up to 30 because he's at 24 a game since the All-Star break. Great take by me, by the way. Wish I had said 25, although I would have been wrong technically, so maybe I shouldn't. But Ant is transcendent. He is a crazy talent, and man, I say the word transcendent a lot. Maybe I should dial that back a little bit, but he is really talented, man. And a lot of the questions we had about him haven't necessarily been answered. Like, consistency is still such an issue for him, and this is what I touched on in the Timberwolves video, but it's just, at times, it's like, whoa, five straight pull-up threes, swish, baby. And then it's like, oh, cool, the bottom right corner of the backboard a couple times, and that's what we're getting for man right now. But... There's been less of that, and there's been more jaw-dropping, incredible moments, and just higher volume of opportunity. I think Malik Beasley getting suspended and D'Lo going out for a while, although D'Lo's back now, has been very good for Ant in just being able to say, I am the primary ball handler here, or at least I get to be that in stretches, and I can just kind of figure out my game because he's figured out a lot of stuff. 30 is a very big number that I cannot get to. Now, there is a component of this. I think he is clearly the rookie of the year now i mean like yeah it's it's not close right i mean i will not disrespect tyrese halliburton i mean halliburton it's a full season award logan i know it's a full season award and if i'm giving it to a player that i think contributes more to winning obviously i'm gonna go halliburton he's still putting up like 14 5 and 3 and the, the just the big thing is there's just not a volume of opportunity i think halliburton could easily win it if he was in the situation that cat was in where he could have the ball in his hands that much with Fox going off he's had the time on the floor about 36 minutes a night I just don't think we've seen the production that um we've seen from Ant now you're there is the efficiency argument that you yes. could give to me here that Halliburton is a so much more efficient player with his minutes and touches on the floor which is valid and I agree I would rather have Halliburton right now in a winning situation I just think with the numbers the pure volume of numbers that we are seeing from Ant is too far, uh, too much to go off of. Plus, 
it's not like the Kings are winning games. Yeah, that's true. But also, you can't hold that against Halliburton individually, I don't think. He does a lot of stuff that helps them. And this is complicated. I won't get on the record yet. I think I would probably lean Halliburton just for Rookie of the Year, but who do I want to start my team right now? It's not close. I mean, Ant is in a completely different class as a talent, and if he were just being judged by his post-All-Star performance, it would not be close. He has been remarkable in that stretch. And so this is definitely a hot take. I can't get up to 30, as I said, but the dude is a beast. He is going to be a very important part of some very good teams. And everybody who said this draft class sucked, you were wrong. You were very wrong. We have a couple of really remarkable rookie guards. Three, if you want to throw Halliburton into that mix. Four, if you want to throw Emmanuel quickly into that mix. Five, if you want to throw Tao Maladon into that mix. Six, if you want to throw Leandro Balmaro into that mix. Someday, we will. (laughs) But, yeah, this is an interesting take. I respect it. I respect the gall that this take took. All right? So you have my stamp of approval, but it's not going to (laughs) happen. It's definitely not going to happen. He's not getting up to 30, Logan. It's Michael Jordan production as a rookie. Stop it. Okay, bro. I just hope he goes off for like like 25, 25, and then like 50. He could get 50, dude. No doubt in my mind. That Suns game was unbelievable. And it was efficient too, dude. Yeah. When he is... I remember... I mean, when he is knocking down shots like that, pulling up... Mm-hmm. Just get out of the way, man. And he was just unstoppable getting downhill. And even yesterday, like, he didn't have a great game against the Nets, but he was getting downhill every time. And then it was just sometimes he was facing a second defender. He couldn't quite rein himself in, and stuff gets in the way there. But that is just... One powerful special athlete. Dude, and it's weird, too. It's like sometimes when he's on the floor, everybody defers to him, man. He commands the game. He does, dude. He is an alpha. He has the stars mentality, no question. Like when, I don't know, you'll see it at the top of the key where he will kick it off to the, you know, off guard or the guy at the three spot. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, you'll see Ant like thinking like, all right, you know, I'm going to start moving off ball. They immediately hand it back to him and they're like, Mm -hmm. no, whatever, Ant, you take over. It's... It's really promising. It's very, very promising indeed. And just where he's come from the start of this year has been awesome to see. Where he's come from, what he was as a prospect, even as the number one pick in the draft, obviously, there were still more questions than there are right now, I think, and the foundations of a really, really, really good player. I talked about all this just yesterday, if you want to go check that out in my video about why the Timberwolves' future is so bright. But I will round things out today with a take about a couple teams whose futures are not quite so bright and whose presents are not quite so bright. This is another inconsequential take, but you know what? We give a lot of takes out here, all right? So sometimes the well dries up a little bit and you need to get creative. So this is a specific one. I think the Wizards finish at least two games ahead of the Raptors in the end of the season standings. And maybe that's not so hot because they have the same record right now. It's just a disturbing take to me, though, really, because I think the Raptors are and should be so much better than the Wizards in every way, offensively, defensively, as far as depth, even as far as your top of the lineup, guys who I really want if I'm trying to win games with the exception of Beal. But the Raptors have the fifth toughest schedule remaining. The Wizards have the third easiest. And these teams are just playing in very different ways. One is led by a guy in Russ, and Beal is back now again, but he wasn't for a stretch, who still really, really, really wants to win and is trying to do everything that he can. And the Raptors are playing like a team that really doesn't care all that much what they do and just looks kind of lost And, like, they don't like themselves very much. And it really just kind of sucks to watch because I like this team so much and I have such high hopes for them once things get back on track next year. But now that Beal is back with the Hotch playing like he has been post-All-Star game, baby, I'm telling you, this dude is blending perimeter skills, wing skills, and big man skills in a way that is pretty impressive. With Russ still giving it his all, I just think compared to the directionless Raptors, they're going to care so much more. They're going to have an easier path. And again, this does still feel weird because the Raptors are so much more talented. I love what we've seen from Malachi Flynn as of late. His last seven games or so, I think he's averaging like 15 and 5. Of course, I love Gary Trent being allowed to roam. Is that his best role long term? Just being able to fire away? I don't know, but the dude is a bucket regardless. And by net rating on the year, the Raptors are 14th. The Wizards are 25th. So you're not going to get a wider disparity than that between two teams who have the same record. They're just flat out better, but I don't think they finish stronger. I don't think they care enough. 
Lowry's taking games off with rest. As you would expect, why do they care? Pascal Siakam looks like a broken man, and I hope that he gets back on track. And the Wizards care. I don't think either of these teams make the play, and I don't think this matters at all. But this is just a hot take to me because I expected the Raptors to be a top-six seed. And actually, I expected the Wizards to be in the play-in as well. Neither of them are going to end up there, I don't think. But I do think that the hierarchy I expected is going to be flipped. As did I. I had the Raptors up pretty high. I had high hopes for them at the start of this season. I was just going to say, I changed my preseason predictions. I had them going 41-31, and 31, and I added two wins to them to take away from other teams. And that still gnaws at me, Logan. Bad take. <laughs> I'm sure it does. And Carson, I don't know if this is a hot take, man. I don't think the Raptors can... I don't think you can be successful with this top two. This is the one of yeah. the... I just think they have really mismanaged this rebuild as a whole. I never loved Pascal Siakam as the guy. I've, I don't like him defensively. I don't like what he brings you offensively. He just... has so many lapses, too, dude, where I'm just... It's just like, oh, another brain fart, Pascal. Another one? You know, What was that symbol you just did? This was... My old baseball coach used to do this if we messed up on the, the baseball Illuminati? field. He would just go, like, if you messed up on the diamond, he would put it up on his head. It was like a, so, like, a nonverbal communication. Like, I'm mad at you, but I'm going to let it slide. It's just, it's just a brain fart, man. You messed up. Let it go. You know mm. what I'm saying? And there are so many of those with Pascal where I am like, dude, dang, Pascal, you're <laughs> killing me, man. Um, I just, I don't think, I don't know if it's Van Vliet and Siakam, if they can't coexist. I just don't like them as the two main guys anywhere. Van yeah. Vliet would be an awesome six man to have. Pascal would be in. I don't like Pascal. I don't like Pascal yeah. Siakam's game. Tough to like right um, now. Just dude, the Raptors are headed. I'm very. I'm so glad they got Gary Trent and Malachi Flynn. They give these two guys give me hope for the future and Chris Boucher a little bit. But I do not like where the Raptors are headed whatsoever, man. Yeah, which is just really tough to say. I think because obviously there are some really talented individual young players here, and I think Van Vliet in the right situation is awesome, and I still think Siakam. If he can just find the shot, man, then I think that he can be okay. But then again, I'm not really positive about that because creating for himself off the bounce is still weird. I just thought at the beginning of this year, he was passing so much better, and he has been all year. And I thought that can make him a little bit more dynamic here because he does have some of that collapsing defense factor where you kick out to shooters or you find a cutter who gets by somebody sleeping, and he just hasn't been able to actually be that scoring threat. So do you agree with this take? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I um I don't know, man, and it's it, a big part of it is you talking about the Wizards just looking hungry, man. They're a team that wants to yeah. win games, and it's kind of hard, man. When I will give a lot of I'll give a lot of crap to Russell Westbrook for mm-hmm. how he plays the game, for how efficient he is. I will never count out against that man. That I don't know, man. He gets a team to buy in. He gets a team mm-hmm. to dedicate themselves to trying hard every night and. It's that mentality. I don't like a lot of things about Russ. I like the mentality that Russ brings to a roster. And he can will you to a win with pure volume. And when he has another guy alongside him like Bradley Beal who can do the same thing, then, yeah, you're going to win some games no matter what versus a team that, again, just doesn't really know what they're doing out there right now. And doesn't have... I was going to say their top three players. The Wizards' top three players all have more gravity than the... uh, Rui Hachimura. Um I'm not that far, but I mean, nobody has the gravity that Russ or Beal has on that Raptors team, and that matters. Yeah. Just get Lowry to a situation where winning now is the priority. That would be great to see for basketball fans. Obviously not this year, but next year. I mean, Lowry's gone, right? I don't know, man. He loves Toronto. I am never 100% confident that he's leaving. Go to LA, Kyle. Which LA? Lakers. I'd rather see him with the Clippers. I don't know if they could make that work, though. Actually, dude, Kyle Lowry's, kind of, the, Kyle Lowry's kind of the perfect piece that the Clippers need. Yeah, people talk themselves into being excited about Rondo. And I shouldn't slander Rondo because playoff Me? Rondo. Me? Oh, are you people? I was I was one of the guys who likes Rondo being here. I'm not like Kyle Lowry yeah. on Rondo, but I like him. I guess I should probably accept the fact that Rondo becomes a completely different player in the playoffs every year and can actually be a key part of winning you a title, as we saw last year. Is, is that sarcasm? I don't know what it is, Logan, because it's kind of true. But he's so bad so often in the regular season. So bad. I'm confused. Any final thoughts, takes, Rajon Rondo moments that you would like to 
remember together here today. Yeah, that one time Rondo, you know, like took the, you know, his layup package. God, that was sick. It was sick. That was dope. All right. On that note, we are going to wrap things up for today. This was, as always, a joy spending this time with those of you who are watching live, those of you who listened as well. And the good news is you can always consume Nerd Session, both of those formats. We're going to live stream our shows on YouTube and Twitter, as we always do. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, Apple, etc. If you want a little bit more specific, tailored Nerd Session content, we are doing a bunch of video breakdowns on YouTube. I just did one, as we hinted at a couple times throughout the show, on why the Timberwolves have a very bright future. I did one before that on why Steph Curry is basically doing the impossible. Logan did one on why the Steelers can still win a Super Bowl with Big Ben. Go ahead and check all those out. we got a deep catalog of them. You can follow us on Twitter at nerd underscore sesh and on Instagram at nerd sesh. And as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.